Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out People of Product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called PillowCube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. He's very actively moving. Now, he selects the right people. This is very important. He cannot do it himself. He's got to get people to do it. He's got a great team and he's moving. I have no doubt that he will be coming out as number one as he shows the results coming forward. He doesn't talk. He's very modest, very humble. Now, if you're talking about the partnership and all that, the key is the ecosystem. No company alone is going to succeed. You're going to have a platform. You're going to have an ecosystem. And there you've got to build relationships. And now, obviously, the digital... Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got another famous author, Ram Sharan. Thank you for doing this. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. So you have done a lot of things over your career. You've, you've got all these books, the degrees, the coaching some of the most prestigious CEOs in the world, helping some of the biggest brands in the world. What are what are some of your what are some of your highlights? Like what are some of the things that you're the most proud of that you've accomplished over these decades? You see, the the key point, Jess, is you try to solve the problem of the individuals, CEOs, CFOs, even boards, which I serve on seven boards. So seize the opportunity, look at from outside in and see what is the challenge, what's the hurdle, what's the problem. And what I'm proud of is when I succeed in solving somebody's problem there, which are very complex, very demanding, I feel very good. I mentioned to you about the city group in 1993. I feel very good how we solved that problem, working with the CEO. It was a very difficult problem. Senator Hollings has announced at the radio, this will go down and will go bankrupt. And that has to change. And the stock price went from $8 to 80 after recovery. So I learned a lot with John Reed, but I also made a little contribution here and there. This was a major institution that went from almost very difficult situation to a very prosperous situation. So you do this, and that's what gives it. The other thing you give you, you observe reality on the ground floor and you discover new things. So when I began to analyze Amazon and I wrote a book, Amazon Management System, to decode how to make decisions, I discovered a new definition real of money making. And I learned that at the age of 10 in my own shoe shop. 
but totally missed it. And then comes Jeff Bezos and he reinvents it. And this is new because 99% of the legacy companies have not yet, not only not know it, they have not discovered it. It's about 25 companies in the world that have discovered it and using it, sustaining it, and it's real. So that's the satisfaction you get that you're learning something new, things that are practical, that are down to us, and most people can learn from it. And that's how I written now 30 books in 22 years, four bestsellers, 5 million copies, and they have clear mission. They have to be useful to practitioners. There are tools they can use Monday morning. All of them be tested somewhere, someplace. You know, I want to hear about your time at Harvard and, and working with famous CEOs like Jack Welch and stuff, but I, I'm interested, what do you think some of the advantages were about the way that you grew up and, and how that's helped you in your career? That's a great question, Jess. Really, nobody has asked me so far. I learned the art and science of business from the age of 10. The word is business, not leadership. That's separate. There are leaders who are not business people. And there are business people who are not leaders. Many of the consultants and large consulting companies are good strategists, but they're not leaders and vice versa. So my grounding of the real hands-on making a living is the same business principles that a Jack Welch would use, a Jeff Bezos has used. Difference is the scale, complexity, and technology. And they got drilled very heavily in me earlier. Now give you simple things. We had a shoe shop about 20 feet long, seven feet wide, 10 feet wide. We buy shoes, we go every week to Agra where Taj Mahal is, buy shoes, come back, Shoes have to be bought in the pairs of six, size seven, size, size six, two size seven, two size eight, two size nine. The Lord didn't make the sizes of the people that way. So we learn how to manage inventory and we learn how to order it, how to price it without knowing the fancy words. And this is hard cash. We could go every quarter and buy. No, we had to go every week because we didn't have enough cash. And when we realized these shoes will not sell, we throw them away. So the fresh stock comes. We made all those decisions, common sense decisions. Within one year, my brothers were able to return the whole capital to my father and uncle. I learned the principle they call Jamal, principle of capital. You take a capital of somebody, you return it. You earn return on it. And you manage by cash every day. We will count cash every day. There was no EPS. There's no return on equity. Nothing. Hard cash and you make money and you serve the customers. So I used to take pairs of shoes to people's homes. I got to know their name. I got to know their size. I know I got to respect them and they're walking in the street, going across the shop, recognize them. This is personalization of the customer. We now use computers to do that. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've had a number of highly successful people on the show who grew up in India. And, you know, one of my favorites, we had Jeet Singh on recently. He built, you know, a couple of different multi-billion dollar companies. He's over at ThoughtSpot now that just got to 2 billion and built Nutanix to, I think, 6 or 7 billion. And he talked about, you know, there's no like seventh place ribbons. Like if you want to succeed, that's on you. Like you, you need to get after it and you need to perform. And he felt no like doubt. that's really helped him compete in America where sometimes people are soft. That's right. But to do that, you got to focus on the right things. And if you stumble, pick up fast and you will stumble, but you got to focus on nitty gritty at the same time scale and scope. 
But one thing is universal. I can tell you from my experience and you give yours. If you don't have the right people around you, you won't succeed. That has not changed for centuries. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us about, tell us your favorite thing about the newest book. My most favorite thing about the book is that we were all trained in the principle of diminishing return. Software AI companies based all legacy companies on the basis of software AI with the customer, linking with the customer. If you grow your revenues at 15%, your margin will grow 25%. This is called the principle of increasing returns. This is common sense business acumen that has been demonstrated by Amazon. Now Microsoft is demonstrating. Adobe has demonstrated. This is new. It did not exist before 1993, 95, no, 1995, 96. When the browser came in, computer capacity came in, cheap telecommunication came in, processing became high, and then you can have 100 million customers, 200 million customers. You got the database, you can analyze it and do it. Yeah. So rethinking competitive advantage, new rules for the digital age came April 6th. Is that right? Yes. So for people who want to understand more about what you just said, can, can mm. you help break that down a little bit? Yes. Here you take Amazon Prime. If you calculate your cost on Prime alone basis, it's very unprofitable. But now you take the data from the customer and your data is used to make recommendations, more services. As you know, it started with books, then music, and so on. Now, a lot more services. So your incremental cost of the software and the technology to go from 1 million customers to 200 million is very marginal. And therefore, your sales growth curve is, let us say, 25%. That's what it is. Then your gross margin is going to go higher. So if you analyze Amazon from 20% gross margin, it has gone to 40%. I have no doubt in five years, it will be $1 trillion revenue company and gross margin reaching 50%. Competitors is less than 26. It's a cash machine. So you have customer data, you get third parties on your platform, use that data in multiple ways. And then you get additional services, you cross the boundaries across industries. There's no, much thing, no such thing as the old industry definition because the customer is buying convenience, better price, more reliable, last mile delivery. And so what Jeff Bezos is doing, putting a ton of money in technology, in warehouses and last mile delivery. So that builds the basis for higher growth, lower cost per unit, higher gross margin. That's very old business way to think. And you manage for cash, not for EPS. EPS was designed for the standard comparisons by the financial reporting. You have to recast those statements or balance sheet. You will see that how profitable Amazon is. On an EPS basis, it's not that profitable for a long time. I used to see that to the show to the CEOs. I said, let me recast these things for you. Have a look at it. Oh, yeah. Now I see it. You know, it, it feels like that applies in the investment management business as well. And I wonder if I'm seeing this wrong, but I think about you don't have to double your staff to double the amount of assets that you manage. Absolutely. I have one investment company. There are 22 people to 25. It has gone from 3 billion to 8 billion. Very successful. But you got to get the right people. <laughs> What's the secret to that? Select very simple. The secret is very simple, but it is re requires a real practice. You must know clearly, specifically three most important attributes 
of what you're looking for, not 10. And then you insist on it. You reference check it. You tell the person, tell the truth. If you don't, you will have to go out. We want to make you successful. It's no fun for you to go out in three months. And they do, because we're looking at for those three attributes. We're not looking for negatives. We look at negatives, we ask them then, what will prevent you to succeed here? Tell us now, we'll help you, because nobody's perfect. But if the positives don't fit, we don't worry about the negatives. And we don't dig into the deep cognition, deep natural talent, what I call, what's your God's gift? How do you know? Where do you analyze? Who can tell us? We want to hear the God's gift. We don't want to hear negatives. It's very hard. You know, I'm interested for folks who are talented at a number of things. How do you help them recognize that thing that, you know, their God's gift, that thing they were born to do yeah, versus yeah. the thing they're about, see, just above I, average at? No, you see, I do sometimes, I, I select CEOs. I do minimum one hour, one interview of six hours, usually two. It's very informal. It's not an interview dialogue. And we ask them what you did, when you did, great depth, how did you do, who were there? Then I will create situations for them, something they're familiar. How would you go about it? What would you do? How did you check this person? How did you evaluate this person? And they all come out under them. So I even tell them, this job is not for you. Here is your description. And they accept that. I say, why should I let you go into the wrong job? Because if you are a good material, you don't go into the wrong job. You know, I think that there is an optimism about we can do anything with a, with a right attitude or there's feelings of fairness of everybody deserves a shot. And I think that that can sometimes overshadow that we've all been given unique gifts. And, you know, like I'm six foot, I'm like six foot three. I'm not going to make a good jockey. Like I should probably look into a different sport, right? Yeah. The key, key point is I have been studying these things and I don't write about the people in the entertainment in India, how they went through misery in the early days, but somebody recognized the talent. They're very successful, very accomplished. In India, a film could not go succeed without lyrics. There were six guys in the whole of India who did the lyrics. And they're fantastic. But what they went through is hell. But they had the talent. And this was clearly recognized. There's no education, no, no learning. So the idea here is that you can do anything, yes, but get into the right pew. Now, I am not denying the brain can change. If you want to, if you are a good tennis player and you want to play golf, Get out of the tennis game altogether. Get a coach for five, 10 years and devote your energy. Probably the brain will change. You can do that. But doing two both, you can't excel in both that way unless they were really related. Yeah. And so all the people who made it excellent, they had the cognition and they found the right cue. It's <laughs> great advice. Well, can you tell us one of your favorite stories from the new book? Yes, there are a number of them. The best one I have is Fidelity Investment. There's a lady, Kathy Murphy. She's background lawyer, and she came to Fidelity to run the front part of the business. And she's very consumer-oriented. So I've been with her more than 10 years, watching her, working with her, learning from her. And at one point, she understood what digital technologies can do. And then she decided to do two pilots on team-based learning. Both pilots succeeded. People came to her and said, why not us? It took her five months, evaluated each job, changed the six level structure to three. 95 people in the digital area, all digitized. Then it got cut turnover, full page in the Wall Street Journal to offer first in the industry, zero price product, change the whole industry. Now they produce 70 products a year and it is very much gaining share because it's a private company. They won't tell you the revenues. This is leadership, major organization change, using the technology that she showed me 
in India and North Carolina and their company created a, a, a app in less than six weeks that tracks and predicts the progress of the projects. Predictive part was the unique one. And she did all that with two people, change of two people only in the whole thing. She has now have 187 teams. Think about that. <laughs> Very much similar to Amazon. Agility, speed, cannot do without this. That's the competitive advantage. Agility, speed, new products. She has, you can go and see the hall, big hall, sticky, small. She studies the actual follow through, three types of wealth, wealth, wealthy people, what their needs, what are they, continuous observational research, and that goes on the product development. So investment, if you are an investor, look for those companies that are becoming, having speed, agility, and clearly understand. So I have one where I'm allowed to see the invest money. They get to know the company. In fact, the deal guy will go in the company and ride with the sales force to see how they are increasing the revenue growth. Kick the tires. They do that. They've done very well. They want to spend, they may shadow a company for two years until they get to know the people. What are they doing? What is their, their cadence? What's their rhythm? Why will they have 100% growth in revenue, 60% growth? What is the basic foundation? What's their incentive to do that? What's the turnover of Salesforce? When you think about when you think about the finance industry with all its regulations, mm. and there's mm. there's so much history of how things are done, and there can be you know there can be elitism in the finance industry of, you know, we're special because we manage a lot of money, right? And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of bureaucracy that's probably not even inside your company. It might be bureaucracy at the regulator, bureaucracy at the bank you're trying to interface with so that you can get your funds from them or to them or things like this. When you think about principles that help people innovate in that space, in the investment space, knowing that there's a lot of other partners and, and folks you'll need to interact with that that are not going to be as nimble as you. What, what kind of advice would you have? You see, I may not have gotten the question right, Jess. I'm a great fan of Bank of America. I've done work for them. I see it. They've got 60 million people on digitization now. He's very actively moving. Now, he selects the right people. This is very important. He cannot do it himself. He's got to get people to do it. He's got a great team and he's moving. I have no doubt that he will be coming out as number one as he shows the results coming forward. He doesn't talk. He's very modest, very humble. Now, if you're talking about the partnership and all that, the key is the ecosystem. No company alone is going to succeed. You're going to have a platform. You're going to have an ecosystem. And there you've got to build relationships. And now, obviously, the digital technology helps all those transactions, pattern, data, innovation sharing, customer data sharing. All those are now very necessary. And you're going to see these things moving forward. The, the advantage banks have who do this, they have the advantage of embedded customer base. They have the advantage of trust. Use that because the technology is commoditized now. Technology is not a barrier as a patent technology. There is not much of really necessary patented technology. So you get the right people. You, you see, very simple. In the case of Disney, it took less than two years to copy Netflix technology. They bought a company, did that. You take Walmart. They bought the guy for $3.2 made the big change in two years. So technology is not a barrier. Mental construct of the management is to go from mass thinking, mass production, batch production, to personalization, each customer. 
That's a radical change for management. In many cases, people will have to learn how to do that. I have one company where the top team goes to MIT one day a month. Think about that to learn. It's a requirement. I have another company where you are required to write what is skill you're going to cultivate in 12 months and it will be a part of a compensation. You know, it's funny, something like that sounds simple, but how few how few businesses are willing to make that kind of sacrifice to to not work and just learn a whole day a week, every week, you know, like instead every of every month, every month, every, every, month. every month, sorry, yeah. instead of like once a year, we're going to have a seminar, right? This, this continuous yeah. thing. Yeah, right. That's a top team. Jess is a top team. Now, if they're doing it, what are the chances the rest are going to do? Think about that. And learning is real because the CEO goes with them. It's not, let's get XYZ for two-hour seminar, and they come and they give you a one-hour PowerPoint and discussion. No, no, you got to do exercises at MIT. There is the home assignment. Because when was the last time they did disciplined learning after they graduated? <laughs> Probably been a while. Yeah, I remember very clearly, long time ago, Coca-Cola guy did that. Long time ago, he did that. He took the people to MIT. Well, I think my next question is, you know, you've got this, you've got this long-term view having, having done this work for four decades and at, at such high levels, I'm interested when you think about the leaders, when you think about the CEOs who, who have been successful at rapid, rapid growth, what do you feel like have been, what do you feel like are principles that, that folks at smaller organizations that want to become a big organization? Yeah. Yeah. From your observation, what, what's the main things those CEOs or leaders could focus on? Yeah. So just my smallest client is $2 million in revenues. I begin with $4 million. I've always kept smaller companies. Another one is $40 million. In America, I mean, not India. Now, my point there is that if the question is, how do we take smaller companies to scale up to the large ones? Now, three principles are very clear. The first one, the founder, if you will, needs to get a sounding board who has done the largest scaling before or already in the largest scale. I'm not putting them on the board. You could. I'm on a sounding board. So I have companies where we got, it's literally true without naming the company. It was 60 million in sales. We got advisor, sounding board, the retired CEO of J&J in the pharmaceutical company. They're both pharmaceutical. He's very willing to do, he's very happy to do. It made a big difference. That's number one. Number two, he or she needs to know what are the assumptions he has made that are constraining his bigger thinking. And number three, does he know how to recruit big people? And the big people are going to work for you because you were little people. Take that constraint out. Can you say that last one again? You see, if you're running a $60 million company, and your sounding board says, you better get this gentleman who's running a billion dollar sales force. So that gentleman coming from a big company, and you, in your mind, you're a small company. Get rid of that mental state. He's going to work for you. Are you big enough to tolerate some of the things he's going to ask, he's going to do, he's going to work at, tolerant. He's going to bring change. Otherwise, he won't be here. You're not going to nickel and dime him because he's coming here to take you from 60 million to 2 billion, 3 billion. I've done that many times because they have been around the band many times and they come in because they got equity. That's why they come. So I have a company, you won't believe this, it's true in Canada. I'm on the board. This company is operational. I'm on the board, a director of Apple. Think about that. Director of Uber. Think about that. CEO of a large construction company. This is a green company with the material. 
His name is Nexi, N-E-X-I. And we're getting a new one from a very large company in the world, the largest in the world on the board. They come for contribution. They've been very helpful, unbelievably helpful to take this company in scope. This company, I have no doubt in my mind, will create minimum $50 billion market value. It's only two years old. And what, what makes you so confident? Because this help and the CEO, and because the green part of it, it's now building a Starbucks stores in one third of the time. It's building Marriott hotels. The demand for environment area to build buildings with close to zero net carbon is enormous. So we have the big guys who have been playing big games and they are great sounding boards. You can do that. But if you surround and you say, I've got my existing people and I'll stretch them incrementally, you're not going to get there. If you have 10 people, maybe two will help you do that. The other won't. See, when Steve Jobs came back in 97, I had a small part in bringing him back. It's in my book, Boards That Lead with the Chairman of DuPont who brought him. Except for one guy, he fired all of them. That guy's Johnny Ive. He discovered him there. And he brought Tim Cook, who was at a low level in Compaq at 3% margin business. So I talked to Tim Cook's boss. He said, yeah. He said, I like Steve Jobs. I'll take a risk with him. Look what Tim Cook has done. Fantastic. He grew. But he was tested twice to be CEO when Steve Jobs got sick. Find that God-given talent. Let him loose. These exist. You don't go on the degrees. You're going to hire people who have no formal education, but real education of real life. Their minds stretch. They know how to solve problems. 1980s, I was doing a succession, a small um, brokerage company, insurance. Two brothers, Bob and John, John Younger. Bob had no children. John had a son. They decided to have John's son to be CEO. A small little company. Son turns out to be Dynamo. Within a month or two, he called up at the time, McDonald Douglas. Remember McDonald Douglas? The CEO. He said, yeah, come on, Don, I'll coach you. Today's number three in the United States. Right. Same guy. But his was, I'll learn anything. I'll go anywhere. I see the issues. I see the opportunity. I'll search out anybody. When you think about those of us who want to internalize the lessons like that you talk about of growing businesses where the marginal costs, the marginal yeah. costs keep going down. Your books are obviously a great resource for that. Any other places that you would point people if they want to, you know, self indoctrinate with that mentality? Yeah. I think the, I, I'm working with a CEO and I'll give you this example. He talks to a minimum two people outside his industry every week. So one day I got a call. Remember the movie Apollo 13? Yeah. The Beautiful Mind? Brian Grazer, the producer, called me up. And my basic question with great humility was, Brian, I can't help you. I don't know a damn thing about this. He said, no, you come on down, which I did half a day. And he said from his young age, he had those two hours every week to learn somebody expert in something somewhere. I believe that. So I have to see you now who talk to somebody on the Zoom, minimum two people every week. Now, wherever to go to learn these things, you learn from the people who are good business people. Many leaders are not businessmen. Many strategists are not business, have, don't have business knows and customer knows. They know the models. They can see how the models work and they are needed. But the knows for the customer need and the business money making, there are two very important items in this area. So I remember once, you know, I worked quite closely with Jack Welch. So one day I got a call and say, come on down, sit in the back, take some notes. I walk in there. He had 24 people, his executive committee. And guess who is there? Sam Walton's number two guy, Southernquist. Tall fellow, not much education. He's taking through how Walmart works. This is in 1995. I made detailed notes and all that. 
Welsh saw for the first time how Walmart making money was outdoing Kmart, outdoing Sears. And he immediately, right after the meeting, commissioned two of his executives. Right, I saw that, John Trainey and Opie, and said, I want this thing implemented in GE. That's learning. And by the way, Sadar Quist, I have a great request, he's still alive. He did not spare GE. He was tough as hell, you know, with the respect, obviously, but he was tough as hell. Sam couldn't make it. So these guys learned a lesson. He used to call them boots, your boots. <laughs> What's um... Larry Bassidy, my co-author, is from that cut. He was a shoe salesman in his father's shoe shop, just like me. And he cuts through to that common sense that you will be find it unbelievable. Common sense is very uncommon. It's interesting how some of the people who I look up to with without the fancy degrees, but with the most amount of common sense, they almost have some inferiority complexes because they didn't climb the ladder the way they were supposed to, even though they've got these great results and oh, I, I, what I'm they do works so well. Jesse, I've got to tell you this. In GE, there was a guy like this and he used to tell me this Gucci crowd, what the hell they know more? <laughs> And they did that PowerPoint kind of stuff. Very polished presentations. You know how many times they rehearsed those damn things? <laughs> they had coaches to rehearse. And here, this guy will sit at the table and cut through in three questions. And he used to say, what is about this Gucci crowd? I don't think they know anything. But he wouldn't talk like this. He'd talk to the friends like me who, who would, you know, watch the discretion. Yeah. What's a, what's one thing you learned from your time with Jack Welch? Or what's one thing that you think oh, the rest yes. of us could learn? Oh, oh, I've got to tell you this. Watching him, learning from him, interacting with him. For me, the most important thing was integrity. People used to come to me and say, become chairman of my consulting firm. They used to come to me, including very famous authors. So let's just start a firm. I said, I know this. When you have a firm, you have a partner, you've got to share it. I'm not going to do that. I can tell you real reasons why GE came to this nadir. Nobody knows. I'm the only one on the planet what happened. Went to the board meetings for 12 years, coach Jeff Mel, coach the board, three board members all the way through of all the data. I'm not talking. Bill Kohan called me up and he said, without do this book will be incomplete. I said, yeah, fine, thank you. That's the way it is. So this new book came from the Wall Street Journal guy. He called me up after the book. I said, what you wrote is fine, but you don't know what really happened because there's no way for him to know that. But those things are never, never what the directors, which direct, I interview directors every year of all that data. They, they tell me what's happening, which way, which ones, what was done, not done, or what the practices were. So you got to have trust, confidence. You know what I mean by confidence? Trust side of it, integrity side of it. And then you say, he used to say to me, come with the tools. So believe me, if I wanted to see him within two weeks, I got an appointment with him for two hours. I made a point that I'll finish an hour and 45 minutes. Then he will muse. One time I had gone in, I had a heart surgery and I decided not to cancel the appointment. Went him, he sat down. In his anteroom, he had a flip chart and he said, you sit down, I'll write, which he did and modified my idea. That became an important part for GB within two weeks. That was great satisfaction. He's, his eyes coming on, he said, I'll use this, I'll use it. I said, Jack, you invented, I just wrote it. He said, no, 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 thank you. The, he was very good coach, very good coach. People have to learn from him. He has incredible capacity. You know, you're you're recognized as one of the top coaches in the world. What's one of the principles that you think maybe people don't realize or what? What's missing from the good coaches who who maybe haven't reached great coaching level? You see, I don't classify that way. There is a fundamental principle. 
is thousand year old. And that is, you don't go and say, I have a solution, what's your problem? <laughs> At the CEO level, you know, Jess, it's a very complex job. It is. So the skill is to find precisely what is needed. And then be honest to say, I, I don't think I'm the right man or whatever. I had one Monday, known him for a long time, not consulting with him. He was my student sitting at my dinner. And he opened up one of the big problems. And I said, that's very simple. So what do you mean? I said, I'm going to call a CEO. You're going to see him. I called the CEO. He said, yeah, I'll see him. He went in. He spent an hour, got the solution. Can't. Both of them thanking me. Both. <laughs> that's what you need to do. This is not a game I need to make money. You got handsomely paid. This is a game. You don't waste people's time. Be honest about it. And he said, no, that's not me. But I think so-and-so could do it. And many of these things have been solved by CEOs who have been around the band. Consultants... <laughs> are narrow. They're specialized. They have preconceived models. I've seen in the consulting firms because they sell a product line, standardized, and then improvise. You see, there were times on Sunday mornings, I've got a call from a CEO and he says, Ram, because I've been with them five, six years, they trust. I have this board problem. And I say, yeah, I have a board meeting on Wednesday. Now, that's where the help comes in. Experience comes in. Maybe, maybe my last question, I know we're almost out of time, is this. What about folks who they're, they're successful and their company's worth a lot of money, but instead of selling it, they want to just be the owners and hire CEOs or, or they're, you know, you're a family office or whatever, and you can, you can afford to be the owner, but you don't have to be the CEO, but you still want to lead. Can you talk about this? Can you talk about yeah. any ideas for navigating, yeah, you know, giving the those. CEO enough room? No, I, I have those is that number of them and the succession, particularly children who don't want to be CEOs. And I'm a very big company right now. And the idea here is that you hire a CEO, make sure he's successful. You can build multiple companies. That's important. Second, you can become a coach, but don't interfere. So I'm designing that. How do you become a coach through using outside information and help? People have developed their cocaine by doing detailed work. It's very hard for them to give up. So they got to find other uses of their time. Just this is very, it's a great interview. Your questions are very probing. You're a master. And I hope the audience will get something out of it. But this is a great thing. It's a real honor to be with you. Well, I appreciate how much time you've given us here. Listen, everybody should be going to ram-sharan.com and getting your own copies of the books here. What else do you want to leave people with today? Just key is if you are a business person, Focus on the customer need. Learn what AI technology can do. Open your mind that you can have 10 times the market value than you are today without taking undue risks. If you don't digitize, you will die. <laughs> and the last one, a leader is only as good as the people around her, around him. Uh, such great advice. Well, listen, consider yourself part of the family here. Uh, please, please come back on the show every time you write another book or, or have some big we'll do that. We'd love yeah, to have you I have a, I've got a great book coming in October that has proven the technology of human side to create four times the market value in five years. I've examined six companies, personally seen them and say, yeah, it works. So we'll be totally revamping the HR. Okay. Thank I'm you. Thank you. Thank you.